Amen. You may be seated. As we mentioned earlier, it's a pleasure to have Jeremiah here with us this morning. We met in seminary and became friends there. Met Carney in seminary as well. And, and so wonderful to have them back with us this morning with their family. So invite Jeremiah to the pulpit. Well, good morning. So glad to be here. I found out this morning it's been a few years since I was here last and preached from this pulpit. And so uh, you may not remember who we are. I'm, I'm again Jeremiah Pitts. I'm the Vice Chancellor of African Bible University. And we are just, we're absolutely delighted to be here with you. If you could turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 7. And we're looking at verse 31. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And... We'll read this passage along. As you're turning there, I will say uh, James and I didn't talk about what he was going to line up for music, but Psalm 100 is a favorite at African Bible University because it begins with speaking about how all creatures on earth that dwell should give praise to God. And we're actually quite representative of a breadth of people from all over the world, and it's a delight to sing together that same psalm that we sing together here this morning. They sing in Uganda and all over the world, and that's a huge blessing, I think. Listen here for the reading of God's word. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Ephtatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray for the blessing of God's word on us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly and say, We are your sheep. Feed us by your word. You are the good shepherd. And as surely as you put it into our hands... As the word of God, Lord, we ask you would feed us by it. We know it has power, great power by your word and spirit. We long to encounter that power this morning. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this story is only found in the book of Mark. I don't know if you know that. The book of Mark is one of those books that mostly has stories that the other gospels have. So the fact that Mark has this story, and it's the only one actually is... It's pretty special. In fact, I would say this, this story is so rich. It's deceptively rich. You know, if you read through it, you might think to yourself, it's another healing story. There's lots of healing stories in the Bible. But I tell you, there's something special going on here. And my sincere hope is that you'll see how special this story really is by the end of this morning. The first thing that's special about it, I think, is that it's an unlikely event. Something that's not so obvious when you read it, but there wasn't a good geographic reason for Jesus to be in Decapolis that day. You see, Mark tells us where he's coming from, and he tells us where he's going, and Decapolis is not on the way. In fact, it's well outside of the way. 
And if you could imagine to yourself that if I was coming, coming to your church this morning, and I was starting in Atlanta, but I came to Winsboro by way of Charlotte, you might say, boy, I think you got a little lost this morning, didn't you? That's, that's not the easiest way to get here, is there? Well, it's sort of the same thing here. Jesus had no geographic reason to be in Decapolis that day. He had gone up and around and down in order to go back and across. It was a much more direct route. Not only that, but Decapolis is a predominantly Gentile reading. That means the people who were there were mostly not Jewish people. And you can see in Jesus' ministry, so much of Jesus' ministry focused on his own community, focused on the Jewish community. But this is one of several examples of Jesus going to a group of people that were outside of his own people. So he's gone away that's not the most obvious way to go. He's gone to a people that are not the most obvious people to go to. And then he encounters this man. This man, it tells us, is deaf and mute. Meaning, of course, obviously, that he can't hear and that he can't speak. And what's fascinating about this is that that means this man could not have heard for himself what Jesus had taught. He had never heard Jesus speak with his own ears. He had never heard the teachings of Jesus for himself. But yet, he finds himself, through these series of events, right there in front of this Christ, and he couldn't possibly have come because he appreciated Jesus' teaching so much, because as a man who's deaf, he couldn't have heard Jesus' teaching before. And not only that, but in this event, Jesus uses a very humiliating means of restoration. It's a very humiliating means of restoration. One of the things that often jumps out to people when they consider this passage is the way that Jesus healed. Now, the Gospels often tell us that Jesus touched people, and in touching them, they were healed. What it doesn't often do is tell us how or where he touched them, but obviously in this event, the way Jesus touched this guy really stood out to everyone who watched. He took his fingers... And he put it in the man's ears. Is that a very comfortable thing? Do you appreciate it? I know among kids, that's often a joke we used to play on each other. You remember when you were a kid and you stuck your finger in another kid's ear to kind of irritate them? Not only that, but he spat on his finger and he placed it on his tongue. Now, as much as someone doesn't want another person close enough to them that they're putting their finger in the ear, can you imagine someone taking spit on their finger and putting it on your tongue? This is not a thing that we normally accept, is it? Can you imagine a situation in your life where someone else would do this to you? It's quite humiliating, in fact. Uh, and in a way, it reminds me of another famous story that I'm sure you know from the Scriptures, and that's the story of Naaman the leper. You guys remember Naaman the leper? Well, Naaman is this famous military professional with the might of a huge empire behind him, but it just so happens that he has leprosy. And so he goes to this prophet to get healing from the prophet. And the prophet tells him, go down to the river, the river Jordan, and dunk in the river. And he goes down to the river. I don't know what he expected. But when he saw the river, he said, what river is this? This river's terrible. And in fact, if you've seen the Jordan River videos or pictures of the Jordan River, it's not the most beautiful river. 
It's not the clearest river or the broadest river or the deepest river. And Naaman thought the same thing. He looked at that river and he thought, this is humiliating. There are better rivers where I come from, more beautiful rivers where I come from that I could have dipped in. He looked at the river and he thought, well, this is, this is a bit beneath me. Thankfully, those who were with Naaman encouraged him to accept it nevertheless. Why come all this way and ask a prophet if you're not going to do what the prophet says? I have to have to say here, that's our problem a lot of times, isn't it? We come all this way, we hear the message, and then we walk away exactly the same, and nothing's changed. Has that ever happened to you? We think to ourselves, well, I mean, that's what that guy says. Well, I don't feel that way. And yet God has his word here for you. And your minister preaches to you. I'm sure he has others who are qualified who preach as well. And woe to us if we come and we hear the teaching of God and we walk away because it's too humiliating for us. But rather, we should listen and we should obey, shouldn't we? Listen to it as the very word of God. Thank, thank goodness people were able to convince Naaman to accept this river. He thought the Jordan River was too embarrassing. He thought it was beneath him. And so too, you might look at the means that Jesus used here with this man who was deaf and who was mute and you might think to yourself, this is humiliating. And yet, it's true that the Lord's methods do not often encourage our pride. You know, the scriptures teach very clearly that God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And so in some sense, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that in no way is our pride encouraged by the work of the Lord. That's an element of the Christian faith that's not very popular these days. If it's quite popular, in fact, to assume that the primary help that the Lord gives us is to our self-esteem. You see, the, the central problem we have as Christians is not our self-esteem. The central problem we have is that we don't listen to the Word of God and believe it as we ought. Pride is a huge problem everywhere in the world and for everyone in the world. And yet we find if we submit to what God has for us, that it's true that he resists the proud, but he gives great grace to the humble. A lot of our students come to university at African Bible University from a great degree of different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds within Christianity, different denominations. And they find themselves in circumstances that are often more challenging than they expected. I think often of a man who came to us from Sudan, and when he came he was fleeing his country, having nothing in his pocket, and he had no way of paying for his education. We gave him a work scholarship. And his work scholarship was to work on the farm. Ten acres of our campus is a farm. It's one of the ways we support our ministry. We feed our students, feed some of our staff. is by a working farm. This man, who had never worked a farm before because of his background, was being asked to work a farm. And yet he did. He wanted the education so badly. He wanted to know God's word so badly that though he had never worked a farm with his hands, he did. This is not the type of farming that's mechanized. This is bent over with the hoe raking and pulling and cleaning in the old way of doing things. Because he was humble enough to do this, the Lord's lifted him up, and now he's one of the leaders in his country, the country of Sudan. He returned back and with his education has made a great difference in his country and recently has become one of the highest religious leaders in the country of Sudan for all of the Christians. Wouldn't have been possible. Imagine if he had gone and said, 
uh, I'm not a farmer, I'm not going to use my hands, uh, I'm going to do something else, or this is too far beneath me, I'm not going to do it. If he had tried to nourish his own pride, he would have in turn never received the education that he received. But I tell you, this is exactly the type of example we should have. How does this unlikely meeting between Jesus and this deaf man happen? He had to be brought there by his friends. Remember, he had never heard Jesus speak for himself. He had never heard anyone. The word that's used for him being deaf is quite emphatic. He could basically hear nothing. The scriptures are very strong. He was someone who couldn't hear really at all. It required that he had people around him who cared about him and who could do for him what he could not do for himself. And that is to introduce him to Jesus. This reminds me of that first apostle. When I say first apostle, who do you think of? Many people might say Peter or James or John. Believe it or not, the first apostle really is Andrew. Andrew is is, uh, the first disciple Jesus had, the first apostle that Jesus had. And Andrew brought his brother, Peter, to Christ. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist and Andrew engaged with one another. And as they were speaking, Andrew and the disciple John also saw Jesus walking by. John the Baptist says to to them that this is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And directs those disciples to go spend time with Jesus. And in fact, the scriptures tell us in the book of John that those two disciples spent a significant amount of time with Jesus. Many people believe a whole day with Jesus just listening to his teachings. And when they heard all that, they didn't just go back home and park in front of a television or park behind a book. But the both of them went back to their brothers, Andrew going back to Simon Peter, and he says to him, I've found the one we've been looking for. Andrew went to him like a shot. He went straight for his brother to tell his brother that he discovered the Messiah and he had a desire to bring his brother Simon Peter to the Lord. What an amazing story. Have you thought about how much of the Bible, how much of Christian history hinges on the fact that when Andrew heard the good news of who Jesus was, it didn't stop with Andrew? But he turned to his brother and brought him in. Of the two, Simon Peter is by far the more famous. If you're counting by books that have been written and names that are being mentioned, Simon Peter is far more influential than Andrew. And yet in a real human sense, had Andrew not had a heart to bring someone else to hear what he had heard and to encounter what he had encountered, it never would have happened. So too with this deaf mute. His friends, here unnamed, are the very ones in a sense, a human sense, that make this meeting possible. They bring this man to Jesus, this man who could not known of Jesus of himself. And so just as we thank God for Andrew's zeal, so too we thank God for the zeal of these friends. That it is this encounter with God that has caused them to desire this for themselves. It reminds me so much of a student I have. I often work with this guy. His name's Lucky Ivan. One of the things I love about Ugandans They have very descriptive names. The local police captain's name is Sunday Innocent. That's a pretty strong name, right? Sunday Innocent. Jeremiah Pitt sounds really bland after you meet somebody named Sunday Innocent. We got a student whose name is Lucky Ivan. And I tell you what, if you know Ivan and you know Ivan's backstory, you would say Ivan is anything but lucky. 
In Uganda, it's easier for me to find someone who has neither parents than it is to find someone who has both parents. So being an orphan is really, really common. Lucky's mom died shortly after his childbirth. His grandmother, who looked out for him, died when he was elementary age, and there was no one else. He, he grew up literally on the streets of Kampala. He was a literal street kid. He was raised on the street. He was about 12 years old. It was an older man who took him under his wing to teach him how to run a local shop. I don't know all of the ins and outs of that relationship, except that it didn't end well. But somewhere in there, Lucky was ministered to by a church, Central Baptist Church of Wakiso, Wakiso District in Uganda. And in that, he started coming to this church. And while they're not Presbyterian like you and I are, they love the Lord and they know the gospel. And they shared it with Lucky, and he believed it. And his life was a wreck, but they helped him to go to a school. They had a school, so they helped him go to a school. And he did better than anyone thought he could. Street kids don't usually do well in school, but Lucky did pretty good. And the way that he got to us was he found out that Central Baptist was helping kids go to university if they were well qualified. And he took a friend of his to take advantage of that opportunity. Didn't even do it for himself. And that friend ended up not being qualified. But in the, in the process, they said to Lucky, they said, what, what about you? And lo and behold, Lucky did qualify. And of all the places he wanted to go to, he wanted to go to African Bible University. Can you imagine him saying to a church, I want to go to African Bible University. And the church said, a Bible degree? You really want a Bible degree? And Lucky insisted. He even risked the opportunity by saying, I want a Bible degree from African Bible University or I don't want to go anywhere else. I know this because I heard it for myself and it means the strangest meeting I've ever been in. A group of people trying to sponsor this guy who grew up on the street and him insisting he has to come to our university to hear God's word. Lucky is the guy who introduced someone else and in the end benefited himself. And so too you and I are the beneficiaries of this story precisely because there was a group of men, this, men, this man's friends, who wanted him to see Jesus and to receive healing. All of these points lead to this idea that it's Christ who sovereignly pursued this man. He was in a place he wasn't expected to be, among a people he wasn't expected to be with, with a guy who couldn't possibly have heard him first, brought by other people, not even brought by himself. And so we see this story told time and again that the people of earth are not the ones who pursued the Christ, but instead it was God's plan, wasn't it? It wasn't that the human beings on earth decided God should come down to us, but instead it was God who made the plan for us. And this man couldn't open up his ears or his tongue, but only Christ could do it, just as you and I can only have our tongues employed, as the song says, if we have a spirit within us empowered by our union with Christ. And we have ears that are deaf to hear if we don't have a Christ who by his spirit opens our ears to hear the truth of the scriptures. And the men who brought their friend, even they can see that what's being pointed to isn't them at all, but it's Christ. Because it says that they even said that he does all things well. It was Jesus Christ himself who prophesied that he would be the one to make the deaf to hear and the mutes to speak. Quoting from the Old Testament prophets. And he did just that. Jesus himself had already said in the book of Mark that there are people who are spiritually deaf who are spiritually blind, and that he was alone the one who was able to give them sight that was spiritual 
healing that was spiritual, hearing that was spiritual, and ultimately the forgiveness of his sins. And we see it right there. If that's all this story was, that would be a pretty good story, wouldn't it? A God who reaches out across human history. Imagine the marvel of it. A God who reaches out across human history to heal this one man. That's a pretty great story, right? I have to ask you a question. Is that all that's going on? You know, a lot of times when we read the Gospels, we hear a sermon. It's just little snippets of the book, isn't it? And sometimes you miss a bigger picture that's going on at the same time. One of those pieces you have here is really how unlikely the reception really is. He got a pretty good reception, right? He shows up, a bunch of people are coming to him, they're saying good things about him, they're bringing up people, that's a pretty good reception, right? But you have to understand that when he left Decapolis the last time, that's not how they were treating him. If you go back to Mark chapter 5, same book, different chapter, but the same location, Jesus is having a very, very different experience. Last time Jesus was there in Mark 5, he encountered a demoniac, a man who had a demon. That that demon who possessed him called itself Legion, and it was many. And Jesus, of course, removes the demons from the man, and the man goes out without having the demons. The terror of that passage, I think, for the average believer should be that that man... As tormented as he was, delighted in Christ, but his larger community was more afraid of Jesus and his power than they were of the demon-possessed man. You go back to Mark 5 and read it for yourself. It says that they saw his power and they were afraid. Understand that while they had pushed the man out of his community, they had come to accept what he was. The thing that disturbed them was that Jesus had come and flipped over what they had become comfortable with. And they begged him, that's the word that's used, they begged him to leave. Please, Jesus, leave us. Because it says they were so afraid. Now, let me ask you a question. What made the difference? What happened between Mark 5, as the the area of Decapolis is begging Jesus, Jesus, please get out of here. You're terrifying us. And the next time Jesus shows up in town, they're bringing all these people to see him. What changed? Well, we have some hint of it at the end of the passage in Mark 5. This is what it says. Jesus did not permit the man to come with him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. What changed? What changed between Mark 5 and Mark 7? What changed with them saying, please get out of here? And the next time he shows up, everyone's saying, come, come help. Come help my friend. Come see see what's going on. Help, Help my friend. Please help him. What changed is this man. God sent this man back to his people in order to share the good news of who Jesus is. That is literally the only thing that makes sense of this story. And Mark 5 tells us that he was faithful to do it. This man, relieved of his demon possession, desired to go with Jesus. Any one of us would say that's a good thing, right? A desire to go along with Jesus, of course that's good. And yet Jesus had a different ministry for him, and he says to the man, no, 
you're going to go back to the people you came from and you're going to tell them what happened to you. And he does it so that the next time Jesus shows up, the reception is completely different because of this man's obedience to the command of God. He didn't do what he thought was best. He obeyed his master and his master's command. And because this man who formerly had a demon obeyed the commands of the Lord, see what a harvest it brought in. Now this man doesn't know the future, but he does know what his Lord has told him to do, and he's obedient to do it, and see the increase that comes of it, and the story that comes of it. This man who had suffered with a demon valued Jesus, and he wanted others to find what he had found. And so that raises a question for us as well. Do you and I value what Jesus has done for us. Do you value it? You know, when the Lord comes, uh, it's not like a speech that we should listen to and then we go away and we're basically the same. When the Spirit comes, it's, it's, it's not like when we have a, a passing emotion and the emotion is it's there for a moment, but then it's gone after a little while. But the change that's wrought in a Christian, the, the change that's affected in us, is a real and it's a persistent and it's a lasting change. And I think if we thought about it, you might remember back to times when you've struggled and you turn to the Lord. And you find the great kindness of Christ is that He's there and that He's sufficient for us. That He has transformed our lives, transformed our desires, and for many of us even transformed the situation, the circumstances of our lives. That's certainly a good description of what happened to the demoniac. And he obeyed his master and he went back and he described to everyone around him the great value that he saw in Christ Jesus. He wanted them to see what had happened to him. And this is a challenge for us. Do we see that same value? And if we do, what are we doing about it? Are we going about our lives on the highways and the byways as they say? And we encounter people who have the same struggles that we have, the same problems that we have. And are we pointing them to the Christ who is the only solution to our problems? If we value Christ, what else could we, what else could we be doing? I think about one of my students, a guy named Herman. Uh, he's one of the first students I have in Old Testament biblical theology. So I'm teaching him a lot of, uh, of covenant theology. And he was a fantastic student, really bright guy, very, very gifted uh, he was doing so well in the class, but he was struggling to pay his fees. Uh, you know, Uganda, as I mentioned, has a terrible economy. Uh, it had a lot of fatherlessness and a lot of motherlessness. And his uncle, this is really common, I'm sad to say, his uncle found out that he was kind of struggling. And the only possession that Herman had was a very small piece of land that he had inherited from his father. And having family land is a very big deal. And his uncle found out he has this piece of land. So Herman came to me one day and said, I'm going to have a meeting with my uncle. And my uncle says he's going to help me out with my school fees. And a few days later, I see Herman, and he's a, he's a bit dejected. And I said, well, how'd the meeting go, Herman? And he said, well, he didn't really want to help me with my school fees. He essentially tried to rob Herman of his land for a very small percentage of what it was worth because he knew that Herman was in trouble Financially, his ability to pay his tuition. He was using it as leverage against Herman. Less than really 10% of its value, if you can imagine. And I told Herman, uh, Herman, don't quit.
I said, Herman, don't quit. Don't give up. He says, I can't. I've learned too much. I've learned too much. I've learned too much to quit. I tell you, he valued, he valued what the Lord was doing. He valued what's going on in his life. And we see young people like that making difficult decisions on a regular basis because as they understand God's word more, it changes how they live their lives. They even make decisions that work against them financially. I've seen a number of people who were involved in, in prosperity gospel ministries who were doing well financially, but they find out that what's being taught is not the gospel. It's not the real gospel. And when they learn it, they leave that ministry that had promised to take care of them, take care of their resources and their finances. They walk away from it not knowing where they're going to walk into. And you have to understand, there's no social safety net in Uganda. They're walking, as it were, through the valley of the shadow of death. By choice. Because they believe it. And, and you, can't, you can't live in a place like that and not be personally challenged. How much do we value the Lord? How much do we value what he's taught us about himself? You know, I don't, I don't want the Lord has for you. Uh, I certainly am not telling you you have to come to Uganda. I don't play the role of the Holy Spirit, although I have been known to subcontract for him on occasion. Uh, but I will say this. I don't know what the Lord has for you, what particular work he has for you. But I know for sure that he didn't transform your life by the gospel for us to sit coldly and idly by, waiting for the time pass, and then looking for an easy entry into heaven. But that's not what it's about. And I trust that many of you are already engaged in ministry, and I know that many of you for sure are doing great things for the kingdom of God, but I would challenge you that your work is good work. Whether he has you here in Winsboro, or whether he has you in Uganda, that we're doing the same work. It's not as though there's good work there, and there's kind of not as good work here. Wherever God has planted you, it's good work to do. But just as this man was able to transform the attitude of his community towards Christ Jesus by being faithful to the call that Christ had given him, you too may be able to transform the community just by your simple faithfulness. By doing what God would have you to do. By proclaiming what God has done for you and telling the truth about who God is. I don't have to tell you that there are many indications about the way our civilization is going that are not good indications. And I'm not even speaking primarily of economic or political ones, but I'm talking about the very moral fiber of our country. There are many indications that it's not headed in a good direction. And I assure you, whatever the Lord has planned, right? I don't know what his idea for the future for all of us may be, but whatever it is, our part in it is definitely not for us to sit idly by to hide the truth of the gospel as though it's under a bushel. But instead it is wherever we are and whatever we're doing to do it as Christians, proclaiming the, the truth of what God has given us wherever we may find ourselves. Whether it's here, whether it's Uganda, or wherever it may be. Because all truth is God's truth. And he has people like us in this world who, who as humble as we may be, have been given the task of proclaiming it and shining it everywhere that we go. Now you may think to yourself, be having mentioned how big our challenges may be and so forth, that I, that I think on some level, uh, and sometimes even maybe I struggle with myself as well, that, that things are too big, it's too big of a problem that things are not possible. 
And let me tell you like a story of a bit of hope. This one's not ABU. It's, it's from my own family. I, I have some family members who are not Christians. Uh, my uncles, uh, some of them are not Christians. Some of them are, and some of them aren't. And we've, as a family, pray for them. And one of my uncles, I'm sorry to say, uh, I didn't pray for him enough. You know, I, if I'm being honest, I thought he was a lost cause. He uh, had quit going to church more than 40 years ago. He had gone to church for a little while, but he left it. And he left it under hard circumstances. And for most of those years, obviously, he didn't get any closer to the Lord or any closer to his own salvation. But he got farther and farther away and took, in some respects, his whole family farther and farther away. Certainly no closer. A few years ago, my children attended his baptism because he had become a Christian. Kari and I were in Uganda on a short-term bid, and our kids went to his baptism. You know how it happened? A new pastor came to town. There have been many new pastors, and that hadn't ever made a difference before. And this pastor asked about the roles of the church. My uncle Johnny's name was on, still on the rolls. hadn't been in like 40 years, and his name's on the rolls. And he asked, what, what happened to Johnny? And someone said, yeah, this thing happened a bunch of years ago. He's never been back. And he said, I'm going to go see him. They said, don't worry about Johnny. Don't worry about him. Uh, He's never coming back. He went to see my Uncle Johnny. Now, if you knew my Uncle Johnny, you would anticipate the type of reception this pastor received. It was not a good reception. Didn't let him in the house. Met him in the yard. Had strong words for him. Ran him off. Now, who would blame this pastor if he had quit? No one would blame him. He did his best. He went above and beyond. They told him not to go and he went. And yet, being run off, he went again. And again, and again, and then one day, my Uncle Johnny let him in the house. Once he was in the house, now they're having a conversation. Having a conversation. He led my uncle, ultimately, to the Lord. So now, though my uncle has passed, I know that I'll see my uncle again. And it came because this one man, faithful to the calling of the Lord... And with the message that God had given, obeyed the Lord and pursued my, my Uncle Johnny. Because of that, I can rejoice with him forever. I don't know how you think about the obstacles in your life, the work that you do. But I can tell you that he that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. And our Lord will overcome all. His kingdom has no end. So we don't have to fear that the end will be bad. But we do have to be faithful servants of the Lord. That's you and I. Let's be counted faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. Your goodness is obvious to all those who look. You're resplendent in glory, and yet you are so humble that you kneel down to the brokenhearted and you lift us up. You heal those who are bruised beyond belief, that you fix us even where we're the ones who've injured ourselves. You've given us, you've given us the, the, the truth of your word. Though, though we naturally despise truth, you've given us the light. And, and We naturally hate the light. We love the darkness. And yet, you set about to rectify all of this by your word and by your spirit. And it's for that reason we praise your name. We ask, Lord, that you would give us courage. Courage in the world in which we live and the people with which we deal. That wherever we may find ourselves, we'll praise your name. That we'll be salt. That we'll be light. And all these things that you'll have preeminence. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, let's stand together now and confess our faith by using the Apostles' Creed. You'll find printed for you in a bulletin, and then uh, what we believe Scripture teaches us from our Westminster Shorter Catechism. <clears throat> 